Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, would you take a bus if it operated more like an Uber? The day reported the city of New London is exploring the idea of an on-demand rideshare bus service like Uber or Lyft. New London's mayor will join us later to, to talk about this pilot program. First, how do you get to work? Most of us drive, some of us bike, but how many of you scooter? Today where we live, we catch up with the electric scooter craze making some people crazy in cities from D.C. to Nashville. Show producer Carmen Baskoff pitched today's show, and coincidentally, she's a Nashville native, and she uses an electric scooter, not down south, but in New Haven and Hartford during her daily commute. Here's Carmen telling us why she adopted this mode of travel, wearing a helmet, of course. Now, I was originally taking the train and then taking the city bus to work, but the problem I kept running into was that the bus schedules and train schedules aren't aligned at all. So I would be pulling into the station on the train and out of the window I would see the bus I needed to be on pulling away. And then, of course, the next bus doesn't show up till 20 minutes later. So I was pretty frustrated by the situation and then I went on vacation with my sister in Europe and we went to Vienna and we saw these rental electric scooters. Um, and so we decided to give them a try and it was really fun. We were zooming around the city and the bike lanes um, and I just left thinking, this is a great way to get around and I need one of these things. So when I got back to the US, I went on Amazon and I ordered an electric scooter and it came about a week later and I started using it for my commute. It cuts about 20 minutes off my trip because I don't have to wait for the bus. I do take the back roads though. Uh, because Asylum Avenue, the most direct route from the train station to my workplace, does not have bike lanes in it. So I've opted to take the longer route uh, to try to not die. Um, I do get funny looks when I ride the scooter around Hartford, but mostly people are just really curious. People pulled me over and said, hey, what is that thing? Uh, Where'd you get it? How much did it cost? So the reaction's been pretty positive so far. That's where we live, producer Carmen Baskoff. Now, later, we're going to hear how Connecticut cities like New Haven and Bridgeport are talking about electric scooters on their roads. And let's be honest, the sidewalks, too. But to understand why scooters are showing up across the country, joining us via a studio at Baltimore's WYPR is David Dudley, executive editor of City Lab. David, welcome to our show. Thanks so much. So some of us remember in the 90s the Razor scooters, but those were marketed towards kids. Is that where this all started? That was the toy of the year in the year 2001. Uh, yes, the, the, the Razor scooter is something uh, a lot of us grew up with uh, and um, was really kind of a, a, a very popular sort of uh, uh, fad. Um, it, the, the sort of the evolution of those uh, very simple little devices to the uh, electric shared vehicles that you're seeing in a lot of cities is kind of tangled, but yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, DNA from your Razor scooter in in these uh, electric scooter shares. Uh, the the design was um, you know uh, uh, trademarked and uh, uh, taken over by some Chinese manufacturers and uh, electrified. Battery technology got better, and uh, at some point, relatively recently, the 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 prospect of a kind of a usable uh, adult-sized uh, urban transportation vehicle that looks a lot like a children's toy became a real thing. 
So describe the, the scooters that we're seeing uh, in cities around the country. Do they have two wheels, three wheels, uh, much like uh, uh, the scooters in the 90s or are a little bit different, a little bit bigger? They've gotten they've gotten a little more robust uh, <laughs> it, when and it, it's amazing to look back at this. But I was checking our coverage of, of scooters as they descended on American cities. And uh, they started in the West Coast. They started in Los Angeles and San Diego uh, in basically the spring of 2018. Um, so it has only been a little over a year since these things have been around. But a lot has happened. Uh, the very first uh, kind of wave uh, of scooters were pretty flimsy. Um, uh, the, the, the companies that were involved in this, in this trade uh, pretty quickly realized they needed to, to make some upgrades for uh, American city and American city conditions. So what you're seeing now are two-wheeled vehicles with uh, small uh, electric motors, uh, integrated battery pack, uh, very simple little dashboard on your, on your, uh, uh, on your handlebars. Uh, the wheels are a little bit bigger. They're a little more uh, resilient. Uh, they can handle uh, slightly bigger bumps. But still, it's fundamentally the architecture of it is, is quite similar to the, the toy you were playing with in 2001. Before uh, we uh, started seeing these adult-size uh, scooters uh, in cities uh, like uh, down in the D.C. area, uh, whatever happened to the, the Segways? Those were supposed to be uh, pretty trendy and catching on. The, the, that's a, a fascinating and complicated <laughs> question, but uh, we, uh, we looked into that, uh, as a lot of people uh, did when these scooters appeared, because, yes, there was a time when we were told that the Segway was going to be the transformative uh, urban transportation uh, disruption of the 21st century. And um, it didn't work out exactly like that way, uh, although it's important to note that Segway, the manufacturer, is still around, and they're making a lot of these electric scooters. A lot of the technology that, that sort of was pioneered uh, by Dean Kamen and, and, and those folks uh, during the sort of the, the, the hubbub and the hype of, of the Segway did end up finding its way kind of into a lot of transformative spaces. Uh, so some of that uh, self-leveling technology is still out there, and uh, they make a whole range of vehicles, uh, including the original transporter, which is the the, the one that one thinks of one think, when one thinks of Segways. Um, but uh, the Segway, as the, the the transporter devices, which were you know these two wheeled things that you stood on, uh, similar in many ways. But uh, when you look at the 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 way they operated, you realize why scooters kind of uh, uh, outperform them. Uh, they're a lot narrower. Uh, a Segway is a pretty wide vehicle. It's a pretty heavy vehicle. It's a very complex vehicle. Uh, they're quite expensive, and um, they really didn't have any particular kind of advantages, I think, uh, over uh, what was essentially a much, much simpler and and uh, harder to screw up design. So uh, electric scooters uh, really kind of uh, uh, ate their breakfast and uh, are now, you know, vastly more popular. Uh, you still see kind of the classic segues uh, used by uh, uh, parking enforcement and tourist tours and so forth. But as a as a kind of a, uh, a thing that one owns uh, and that sits in your garage, that never happened. David Dudley is executive editor of City Lab. He's explaining to us how uh, electric scooters, or e-scooters as they're called, um, have become more and more popular from the scooters that we used to see back in the 90s uh, to uh, zipping around uh, cities and coming soon uh, to, to a Connecticut uh, city. We're going to be talking about that in just a little bit here on Where We Live. Uh, but David, uh, you mentioned this kind of grew out of the uh, bike sharing industry. So what are the main, who are the main companies now that are offering these uh, you know, to rent a e-scooter using a mobile app. 
Uh, well, there's a bunch. Uh, I guess Bird is probably the most, uh, I think, the largest of the, the many, many startups that popped up uh, over the last year or two. Some of them, like Lime, is another big player uh, you see in a lot of cities. Uh, Lime was called Lime Bike a year ago, uh, and it, it really was a, a dockless pedal bike co- company that uh, soon discovered that uh, e-scooters were their far more popular offering. Uh, it's widely forgotten already, but there was uh, an earlier wave of, of dockless pedal bikes. These were just, you know, uh, non-electrified bicycles that were uh, uh, kind of free-floating around cities that were sort of dumped in cities by various companies. Uh, caused a lot of, of uh, confusion and mayhem and, uh, and uh, generated a lot of headlines a year ago. Um, most of those are now gone, but a lot of the, the players in that field uh, pivoted to, to e-scooters. Uh, there are a couple other big players, uh, some of which also do uh, e-bikes, which are full-sized uh, electric bicycles. Uh, Jump, I think, is the most prominent one. Uh, there, are, there are companies like Spin and Scoot. Uh, they all have, you know, three or four letters and, and uh, have the same sort of whimsical tone. Um, a lot of them are now uh, bought up by each other as they're sort of consuming each other. Jump is now owned by Uber. Uh, uh, Lyft similarly has a, a relationship, I think, with Bird. Uh, so what you're seeing is a, is a degree of sort of uh, 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 agglomeration now happening as they're, they're as the major players are are, are becoming a little more dominant and trying to get more market share. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live. Uh, do you think these electric scooters are a good idea? Will get people out of their cars? Uh, 860-275-7266 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, we wanted to learn more about how um, some cities that have had e-scooters for uh, longer than Connecticut, uh, since there's only, they're only being talked about, about being piloted here. Uh, we wanted to check in uh, down in Nashville. Uh, Tony Gonzalez is a reporter for Nashville Public Radio. He's joining us today via Zoom. Uh, Tony, how's it been looking so far in Nashville with e-scooters? Yeah, well, there are a lot of scooters in Nashville, um, something like 4,000 scooters, um, mostly zipping around uh, downtown Nashville, which is a a really busy business and tourism district, as well as some of Nashville's neighborhoods. Um, So, yes, there are a lot of scooters here. They arrived quickly uh, last year um, and and. Frankly, there has already been a lot of pushback and concern as well about scooters on uh, on our streets and sidewalks here in Nashville. So 4,000 scooters, e-scooters sounds like a lot. You mentioned that they arrived quickly. So uh, companies just started what, dropping them off on the, on the corners and then people started asking questions, Tony? Uh, yeah, quite literally, they sort of arrived overnight. I mean, there was a day, I guess it was May of 2018, uh, sometime around then, just one day, and I think it was Bird who was first, um, several hundred scooters arrived in Nashville. Um, the reaction uh, immediately was partly intrigue, and you know people started riding uh, these scooters. Uh, I want to note, you know, they're dockless scooters, meaning they're kind of just out there. You, you start your ride, and wherever you end your ride, you, you can leave the scooter there, uh, and the next person finds it by using an app. Um, so people started seeing the scooters within just a couple of days, the city of Nashville, uh, sent a cease and desist letter to the company and eventually impounded, um, a couple hundred scooters, um, physically took them off the streets. Um, so yeah, the scooters arrived, um, overnight and then the city reacted by starting to work on rules and regulations and permits and eventually, um, passed uh, a pretty lengthy, set of rules in response to the scooters, and then the scooters return to the streets. 
Uh, David Dudley from City Lab. Is that common? Is that what's been seen in other places around the country where uh, these these e-scooters seem to quote appear overnight? That's that's always the phrase. They uh, they appear overnight. Uh, and um, yes, there's been a, a really a wide range of responses uh, similar to what Nashville experienced. Um, some cities have been a little more welcoming than others. Some have been quite hostile uh, in terms of, of regulations. But uh, but typically the the mo here is the the, the companies move in, they uh, they establish as many scooters as they can, and then uh, uh, city regulators play catch up and they try to uh, you know begin to impose some limits. And those limits take the form of speed limits. There are restrictions on uh, going in certain areas. Uh, Los Angeles has really been uh, had uh, a lot of experience uh, kind of carving out regulatory space, uh, the, trying to keep sc- scooters away from certain areas where, where they're particularly uh, disruptive. Uh, but it's it's really been a, a fascinating kind of process to watch as this, this happens. Uh, so our offices are in Washington, D.C., which was... Um, very, very uh, kind of liberal in its in, in its acceptance of dockless bicycles and then uh, dockless scooters. So we saw them early, and we saw them all over the place. And uh, you know, any city uh, in Nashville's among them where there's a lot of uh, tourism. Uh, the the scooters are very popular, uh, and uh, you you quickly see how people sort of adopt them, and they they have a way of colonizing public spaces in ways that are disturbing, uh, particularly to pedestrians. Uh, and uh, and dangerous on the streets, uh, which has always been an issue too, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, the the safety issues are, that are kind of floating around scooter use are uh, uh, have always been an, uh, uh, a sticking point. Uh, Tony Gonzalez uh, from Nashville Public Radio. Let's talk about uh, safety. Um, you said that these really took off. The city then had to come in, uh, city of Nashville, come up with regulations limiting uh, the, I guess, number of companies that allow these, uh, that are able to operate these dockless e-scooters in your city. And then uh, tragedy struck. What happened? Yeah, well, you know, we had, um, Nashville had seen dozens of you know, falls, injuries, a few of them had made news because there were serious, um, you know, traumatic brain injuries. The local hospitals, you know, doctors, the emergency rooms were sort of sounding the the alarm about scooters. And then um, last month, there was a fatality. Um, a, a scooter drive, a scooter rider um, veered into a, a street, was struck by a car and, and uh, soon died. Um, that uh, certainly galvanized um, some officials, including the mayor of Nashville, to take action. Um, so, you know, I described that these scooters arrived quickly, and then now there are thousands. The latest uh, in the wake of this death is that um, the mayor has requested scooters to be banned from the streets. Um, there's some uh, it would that would there'd be a little process to make that happen. The city council would need to roll back its prior rules and permit and, and that sort of thing. Um, but the current request is to ban the scooters and eventually maybe allow them back under a new set of rules in a more limited fashion. So yeah, so there were there were injuries, there was a fatality, um, and those concerns um, really have never have never dissipated um, in the past year. Tony, describe for us uh, what it's like to travel around uh, the city of Nashville. Obviously, a lot of tourists, but uh, still very car-centric. And I understand that voters uh, uh, had a chance to maybe make some big changes to the transit system. What happened there? Yeah, so Nashville is definitely a car-centric city. Um, It's getting better as a a bicycling city. 
Um, there, there are a lot more bike lanes um, than when I moved here eight years ago. Um, but, you know, you would still maybe be a little nervous in a lot of parts of town to to be traveling by anything other than car. Um, and and I, I like that you bring this up because, you know, there are a lot of people in Nashville saying scooters are a good option or that we need to find a way to make scooters work as a mobility option um, for, for people to get around in ways other than cars. Um, so that tension, uh, or at least there are proponents of scooters you know, they're acknowledging the safety concerns, but they do want uh, scooters as, as an option. Nashville last year had a chance to pass a large mass transit referendum. It would have um, pursued light rail as well as um, much more robust bus service. Um, that was soundly rejected. So voters rejected a massive uh, transit plan. In the wake of that, uh, in fact, we're now experiencing some bus service reductions um, so, you know, transportation is one of the pressing issues for Nashville, certainly, and uh, scooters uh, or whether scooters can help is uh, part of the conversation here right now. Uh, we put out a question to our listeners on social media about electric scooters, and we also heard from colleagues who just came back from a, a conference in Washington, D.C., where they were complaining about the number of scooters, uh, e-scooters, on uh, sidewalks. But it's also something uh, David Dudley, uh, executive editor of City Lab, who's joining us from a studio in Baltimore, you know, this is something that bicyclists deal with all the time, the fact that uh, this much of our infrastructure in this country is geared towards cars and, and not thinking about ways to make it safer or having dedicated lanes for bicyclists, also people riding these e-scooters? Well, exactly. And and one of the uh, interpretations uh, or, or the opportunities presented by the, the rise of e-scooters is that it's bringing a lot of people onto the streets who wouldn't ordinarily be riding bicycles. They're not bicyclists. Uh, but they do, you know, feel comfortable and adventurous enough to, to rent one of these things for a few dollars. Uh, and they're discovering something that, that urban bicyclists have known for many years, which is that there are not enough protected bike lanes. Uh, there, are, there are not enough uh, infrastructure in most American cities to, to get around safely on anything except for a car. So this is, represents a, a powerful opportunity uh, to, to bring and, and, and enlarge the, con the possible constituency and, and kind of uh, make it more uh, uh, politically meaningful uh, to, to, to get some support for building protected infrastructure. Because, uh, yes, uh, riding a scooter... Uh, presents uh, dangers that are similar to riding a bike, but they're, they're also kind of unique to scootering, which is that most uh, scooter riders aren't wearing helmets. Um, they don't, they're not carrying safety equipment. They're not necessarily dressed uh, appropriately. Uh, that's part of their kind of great advantage. They're these kind of joyous little whimsical shared things that you can jump on and ride for a few blocks and drop where they are. Um, so that's their, their power and their weakness. So uh, the CDC did a, uh, one of the first of the sort of... Uh, um, uh, uh, public health studies of, of, of injury rates. And they did find that, that scooter injury rates are a lot uh, uh, larger than, than for bicycles, uh, and mostly because they're head injuries and mostly because people aren't wearing helmets and also because there's kind of a learning curve. Uh, they're, they're dealing with a lot of people who are crashing basically on their first or second rides. Uh, so all a lot of these problems could be addressed uh, over time uh, and uh, with better bike infrastructure, which really, you know, would be a more of a, a shared uh, slow lane infrastructure for, for low speed electric and pedaled vehicles.
This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. David Dudley is executive editor of City Lab. He's going to stick around as we continue to talk about uh, e-scooters, electric scooters, and how uh, some Connecticut cities are thinking of ways to roll them out. But I want to thank Tony Gonzalez, reporter for Nashville Public Radio, uh, for joining us today via Zoom. Tony, thanks so much. Hey, thank you. You can join our conversation, too. Would you use an e-scooter as part of your daily commute? Are you worried about safety? You can join us, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Electric scooters or e-scooters are on the radar of Connecticut officials. At a legislative public hearing earlier this year, uh, the New Haven Independent reported that the city's transit deputy, Michael Pinto, had urged passage of a bill to regulate them. He told the lawmakers, we've seen it flood other cities. We simply want to have the tools in place to make electric scooters a boon to non-drivers in New Haven and not a messy disturbance. New Haven is not looking to repeat Nashville's mistakes, which you heard about earlier in the show. So how are some Connecticut cities talking about electric scooters? Joining our conversation today from WMPR's studios at Gateway Community College in New Haven is Doug Hausladen. He's Director of Transportation, Traffic, and Parking for New Haven. Doug, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Thank you for having me. So I mentioned that uh, the Connecticut General Assembly passed a bill to legally regulate e-scooters. So what does that mean exactly? Well, it means that the scooter companies now have the legal right to operate on our streets. And for the city of New Haven, that now calls on us to react and and be hopefully more proactive than Nashville and learn from other cities' experiences when, uh, when and if we roll out regulations for scooters in the city of New Haven. So tell us where New Haven is in their uh, plans or proposal to, uh, to allow some of these companies to have these dockless e-scooters on your streets. <clears throat> the city of New Haven is definitely in our outreach and listening phase at the moment. We have a hearing at our traffic authority for July 9th uh, next week or two weeks from now scheduled in order to talk through proposed regulations and as a workshop for our traffic authority members. We're talking through some of the same things that our other uh, guests have talked talked about, slow speed lanes and changing parking regulations in certain locations. Um, we'd also like to have a revenue component uh, that's built into the budget. It's already built in, uh, but we do think that we need to adjust it still in order to get it right when we roll out. The revenue and regulations go hand in hand in order to help maintain and uh, create a safe system that will that will not impede the right of way for all other users of our sidewalks and our, our bike lanes and our, um, our travel lanes. Uh, when you look at uh, this scooter craze uh, taking uh, some cities, uh, uh, Doug, you know, when you look at it personally as director of transportation, uh, but also thinking about um, you know, ways to promote alternative transportation than people just popping in their car, um, you know, what's the primary reason you'd want to see these in New Haven? I think a lot of the reason for, for working on the, in the field in general is, is about climate movement and about providing more freedom. Uh, the range of mobility options to people uh, that don't own a car is really providing more and more options for freedom. And by providing uh, scooters in addition to bikes, in addition to pedal trolleys, in addition to, in addition to, we can provide people with more and more options to get around without a car. Cars are prohibitively expensive and more and more um, TNCs and other Lyfts and Ubers are trying to are making it easier to get around without necessarily relying on your own personal vehicle. 
And the sharing economy is really showing that it's possible. And so the more, as one of the uh, guests said earlier, the more we can get people to try these things, the more that we can get them into other modes of active transportation, perhaps in the long term. For for instance, if um, you, you use a scooter, you might try a bike share, which might lead you to purchase a bike for commuting. And maybe you get the electric option and so that you can get around a little easier with a, with a little less sweat. But uh, we think that scooters could fit into a dynamic mobility service suite that is really something that is more freedom-giving than, than inhibiting. Uh, but the trick is working through our disability coordinator's office, working through our disability commission, working through a corporation council's office to make sure this is rolled out safely and our, in partnership with our board of alders and our traffic authority to make sure everyone is at least on the same page with how we're going to move forward. It's good that you mentioned all these different uh, collaborations because we heard the reporter out of Nashville saying when uh, e-scooters uh, came around uh, and it got became really popular, people literally were just leaving them all over the place, blocking sidewalks. That's a real ADA concern. Absolutely. And, and our, our disability coordinator has been very uh, blunt with, with any uh, provider that has come through the city of New Haven saying that if, if she's you know, prevented from the sidewalk, she will be uh, the first in line to, to file lawsuits on civil rights uh, violations. So I think what what we really want to do in New Haven, we've we've had surveys that show 24% of our population are, are have some form of disability. You know, we really need to lead with uh, a sidewalk first mentality. Um, you know, with with strollers, with uh, with scooters, with um, electric uh, rascals, everything that that needs to be on the sidewalk should be there. Uh, and to our other caller's point, let's put better infrastructure in the right-of-way. It's something that uh, the department struggles with, uh, unfortunately, you know, developing and deploying safer, faster um, cycling infrastructure. Uh, to your point, there's going to be now more people calling for it, which hopefully will lead to more resources, which will help deploy faster, and therefore the cycle will continue. And before I take a call, what's a rascal? <laughs> oh, I think that's the, the, the things that medic. Medicare participants can purchase from, yeah. Okay. So uh, we're talking about e-scooters today here on Where We Live. Uh, Doug Hausladen is joining us from WNPR's Gateway Community College Studio. He's Director of Transportation, Traffic, and Parking for the City of New Haven. Do you think this is a a good thing for your community uh, to uh, allow these ride-sharing companies to come in and uh, operate and let you rent an electric scooter as part of your daily commute? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Parker's actually calling from New Haven. Parker, go ahead. Hi there. So what's your question or comment, Parker? So I was just in um, Washington, D.C. this past weekend um, for a work conference, but used the scooters. My family went with me and used the scooters to get around um, all over Washington, D.C. And um, I thought it was great. It was a great way for the family and us to you know zoom up and down the National Mall, which is you know if no you haven't been there, it's really long, uh, and you know it was a low barrier to you know to use. And I'm a I'm a safe driver anyway, so you know I took I was careful, and um, you know I think if users use it correctly and are you know kind of self enforced uh, parking rules, it could be a really great thing for the city. Parker, uh, so when you said that um, when people use them correctly, so were you were you and your family, were you using them in the, the road or on the sidewalk? We, we stuck to the sidewalks because, you know, the, they do have bike lanes in D.C., but, you know, if, um, uh, you know, to me it felt a little bit safer to be on the sidewalks. And, you know, you stop at the crosswalks and lights change, act like a pedestrian, and, and it's, it's, you know, pretty safe. 
Well, Parker, thank you for your call. Uh, Doug, when you hear uh, from Parker and others, again, uh, people, when they want to rent these e-scooters, they're more likely to try them on the sidewalk, but that's a big no-no. That is a uh, that is going to be a no-no, although we are looking in certain sidewalks that are wide enough in the city of New Haven to legalize uh, sidewalk bicycle riding, which then we would also turn over to sidewalk e-scootering. There's portions of Whaley Avenue I'm thinking about that are big enough. And some of our newer infrastructure, we're trying to move towards uh, off-street, curb-protected um, uh, bike lanes. So that would also, um, you know, it's not technically a sidewalk. It'll be it won't be concrete and it'll be defined as something different. So it's, you know, one of the biggest challenges is re-education of our drivers and, and our and, and our users. Uh, I think Parker, who's probably a plant, his last name's Parker after all, um, <laughs> parks, his, parks his scooter well. Uh, there is some tricks and tools inside of each of these apps to sort of nudge people into, the, into better behaviors. Um, the big trick is going to be without a regulation on the local end, without a license, without a permit, how do we regulate and how do we have an orderly rollout? You know, our Town Green Special Service District, uh, Wynn Davis, executive director, is is in full support of more mobility options. The innovation sector really wants more mobility options that don't require a car. You know, just, just sheer anything we can do to help people get around without the need to own a vehicle is really what the equity in our in our mission really stands for. Uh, what do you see are some barriers uh, to uh, New Haven rolling this out uh, in the best way possible, uh, Doug, uh, in terms of, you know, do you have a dedicated person that's going to be able to monitor this program, uh, to see how it's being used? I mean, uh, you had tweeted out a, uh, an article from Wired about uh, big cities are now banding together to try to get that data so they can figure out what are the right regulations. I think anyone who knows me knows that I'm overwhelmed in the office and uh, taking on one more service or mobility system to sort of help uh, guide and oversee um, is a big order. And so I think the biggest challenge for local governments is just going to be sheer volume of uh, of things to deal with. Right now, we're still rolling out our bike share program. We're going to swap every single bike of ours uh, in August and have 340 stations is the goal. Um, but so we're, you know, Managing all of these systems does do take time away from the also the mundane, which is you know ninety percent of my job is parking tickets, right? And you know those those things are real customer touch points for the city of New Haven. So the to your point, it's you know we've created a revenue stream. We're going to need to on the local side think more uh, creatively about how we dedicate enterprise funds or uh, lock, local lockboxes in order to de- generate revenues that can offset these programming expenses. Things like lost parking revenues. Things like paint on the sidewalk. Uh, so I've been to Long Beach. I've been to Anaheim. I've toured Nashville, D.C., um, and a number of other cities and scooted Indianapolis, Indiana as well. I scooted there. Um, and a lot of these cities are really banding together, as you mentioned, and creating uh, a framework that providers then respond to. And so City of New Haven will be joining on the LADOT standard. Uh, we fully anticipate that. We'll brief our board of auditors on that in June or July. Um, and then, you know, also we'll be following the Long Beach model uh, and having temporary um, spray-painted parking, you know, maybe even chalk even, uh, parking areas for corrals to make sure they're out of the way. Um, but these are free freestanding uh, potential impediments in the right-of-way, but they're not necessarily a danger like perhaps that that require site plan approval because they're not affixed to the ground and they're not a fixture. So they are in this nebulous personal property space that that is sort of like an abandoned property. Uh, My lawyer would yell at me for saying that word, but, you know, a property left on the sidewalk, I would say. So all of this is how is the city just going to deal with this larger influx of complaints and calls and work? 
one of the ways we put in a budgeted position and as well revenue to offset that. And the position was created, but not not necessarily filled. And uh, our revenue was held constant. And so now the challenge is, you know, proving that the revenue will will pay for a position and then coming back to our legislators to to fill that position. This is where we live. Uh, you're hearing from Doug Hausleyden, who's director of transportation, traffic, and parking for the city of New Haven. As we talk about uh, e-scooters, electric scooters uh, uh, that have become popular in cities around the country, uh, we just heard uh, from Doug that New Haven's thinking about ways to roll this out uh, on their city streets. You can join our conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Um, these electric scooters are becoming more popular because of companies like Lime and Bird that are offering dockless uh, e-scooters, as they're called, to be rented via a mobile app. Now, if you live in Bridgeport, you may have seen them on the campus of the University of Bridgeport. Uh, on the phone uh, with us to talk about um, how that came about is President Laura Trombley of the University of Bridgeport. Uh, President Trombley, welcome to the show. Good morning. So tell us, uh, how did uh, the company Bird end up uh, having their scooters on your campus? Well, I'm a recent uh transplant from Southern California, and approximately a year ago, I was walking around Venice Beach with my son, who's very hip and knows everything that's happening culturally, and I saw scores of people whizzing by on scooters, and I asked him what on earth was going on, and he introduced me to bird scooters, and I thought it was very intriguing, and coming from Los Angeles, uh, traffic there is a constant nightmare, as is the increased pollution. So coming to the University of Bridgeport, where we have such a stunning location here at the South End, where we're right next to a Frederick Olmsted-designed three-mile-long park, I started to think, what would be fun to have here? And the University of Bridgeport has a very long and narrow campus, and our students are often running back and forth. So, you know, just a couple degrees of separation, I wound up getting very quickly in contact with people from Bird. And really, just a few weeks later, they were on our campus. And I think it's safe to say that everyone really enjoyed the experience, and we had really relatively no problems. And now I understand that uh, the city of Bridgeport is uh, looking to roll out a pilot program. Uh, are they going to be looking at how um, your students and staff, uh, how, how they uh, worked around the scooters on their campus, what they thought about it? Yes, we've been sharing information with the city all, all along. And what makes uh, our location unique, I think, for scooters, and we were the first to have them in New England and Canada, is that when our students are on campus, we have very little traffic on campus. And then when you go onto the park grounds, there are bike lanes there, and there's almost no traffic at certain times of the day, particularly around sunset, which is when our students really enjoyed uh, riding their scooters next to the Long Island Sound. We were also very pleased that Bird gave our students 100 free helmets and also agreed that any student who contacted them could have a free helmet. And our students, I think, were pretty good about wearing them. We also very carefully set up a grid for the birds. And so we had what we termed bird nests around campus where the birds would all be bundled and set out in the mornings. And for the most part, uh, the students really returned them to those places. Um, one of the great aspects that I hadn't considered is that this made our students far more mobile, particularly when it came to catching trains in Bridgeport. 
so they would go leave their trains um, at the state or leave their scooters at the station, catch the train, and then incoming University of Bridgeport students would be able to pick them up. And the cost was so mm. minimal that all of our students could utilize them. Well, we want to thank you for telling us about how uh, these e-scooters were rolled out on the University of Bridgeport campus. Uh, that was President Laura Trombley joining uh, Where We Live. Uh, with us uh, from Baltimore is David Dudley, executive editor of City Lab. Uh, David, you've been able to hear um, from a, a transportation official in the city of New Haven, also uh, president of a college campus in Connecticut, uh, looking at ways uh, e-scooters can be rolled out. I mean, it's a very different uh, planning for a campus versus uh, a very congested uh, city area, are, are all the officials here asking the right questions when they're thinking about these pilots? Yeah, I think they are. I think, uh, you know, you, you just heard um, uh, the, the sort of the case for scooters as, a, as what we call a last mile solution. Uh, you know, there are a very handy uh, mode that can kind of cover these, these gaps, uh, you know, between, between mass transit and, and where in homes and where you need to be. And um, you 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 quickly see uh, in D.C. and in cities where there's a really big uptake of them, um, how handy they are for these very short rides that are just a little bit too long to walk. Um, the problem is that the, most cities really don't have the infrastructure to to kind of accommodate this kind of a vehicle yet. So, uh, as as you also heard, you know most people are more comfortable riding them on on sidewalks, and a lot of sidewalks. Uh, are, are simply not really going to be uh, conducive to uh, a 15-mile-per-hour electric vehicle. So uh, the, the sidewalk clutter issue is a huge friction point uh, in, in scooter-afflicted cities. Uh, and managing that, uh, whether via these corrals or nests or a sort of virtual infrastructure that you can use to encourage parking them properly, uh, there are all kinds of ways to manage it. Uh, the thing is, you know, the norms are being uh, created as the scooter revolution happens. Uh, so as people, as people use them uh, and as, as, as other kind of urban users get used to the sight of them, uh, we'll be seeing further adaptation and, and further regulatory pushback. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating sort of evolving uh, experiment in introducing like one of the first truly kind of brand new uh, urban transportation modes. David Dudley, again, is executive editor of City Lab. They've been doing a lot of reporting. Uh, they do great reporting, especially on transportation. If you want to read more about electric scooters and how they're being rolled out, uh, we'll tweet out some links. But he's executive editor of City Lab, joining us today from WYPR in Baltimore. David, thank you. Thank you very much. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Doug Houseladen is going to stick around. He's director of transportation, traffic, and parking for the city of New Haven. As we're going to talk about a mode of transportation that moves a lot of people around every day. After the break, are buses overlooked in conversations on the importance of using cars less? We're going to talk about that. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Today we're talking about transportation, pegged to the latest craze sweeping American cities. Do you have an electric scooter? Would you rent an e-scooter as part of your daily commute? You can join us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. My guest from WNPR's Gateway Community College Studio in New Haven is Doug Houseladen, Director of Transportation, Traffic, and Parking for the city. Uh, Doug, uh, before we talk more about an interesting pilot in New London, I just wanted to uh, hear from you when we think about um, these uh, 
transit crazes, so to speak, uh, electric scooters being the latest one. Uh, when we talk about them, people get excited. But does that then uh, distract people from thinking about other important modes of transportation like buses? Absolutely. I think the uh, the only saving grace for all of these conversations on, on some level is that a transit city is a walkable city first and foremost, and a walkable city is also a bikeable city. And if it's a bikeable city, it'll be a scooterable city. And so all of these conversations are making it more livable for all types of modes. But at the same time, the best way to get Connecticut moving forward is to talk about our CT transit systems and how to get our four-wheeled systems moving in the right direction. They're the number one way that we can afford uh, to actually get the most people moving. Eventually, um, scooters are having this problem on sidewalks. Ubers and Lyfts have this problem in congestion pricing. You know, eventually geometry wins out. And eventually, you're going to want to put 40 people in one vehicle. Uh, and that's how we need to redesign our, our funding systems and our, and our cities in order to have walkable, transitable cities that are also bikeable by nature. What are your ridership levels for the, the city bus system down in New Haven? And you know, how is it resourced? We have over 10 million rides a year and right up to about 9.8 million rides a year. Uh, and it's resourced by, of course, state uh, state tax dollars as well as uh, fare box recovery. That's where people pay for the tickets. And right now, you know, it's it, we need to grow the system. It has not changed in a, in a number of years. And, and in order to do that, we're going to need both a capital infusion as well as uh, to change streets, to change change street grids, make transit stations, make crosstown routing, uh, in addition to more operator dollars, uh, operating dollars. So it's, it's going to be a tough conversation to have, but at the same time, we have to have it in order to grow. Uh, we need to have denser cities in order to sustain uh, and have a hope of, of uh, combating climate change. And the number one ways that's going to be doing that is electric mobility and buses in the future. Uh, this is where we live. Uh, we wanted to ask the question to our listeners, would you take a bus if it operated more like an Uber? Uh, well, the day it reported the city of New London is exploring the idea of an on-demand rideshare bus service offering door-to-door -door service. Uh, we wanted to hear from the city of New London. So Mayor uh, Passero is joining us today uh, via phone, Michael Passero. Uh, Mayor Passero, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. So New London, much smaller than New Haven. So what's your transit look like um, right now? And tell us about where this idea came from. Uh, well, this idea actually came from um, our regional um, transit system, SEAT, Southeast Area Transit, which is our regional commuter bus uh, system. Um, they have one of, and, and we cover, it's a bus system that tries to cover a large area, which is uh, predominantly rural. Um, and then you get into a city like New London, which is very compact. We are 27,000 of us, 28,000 of us live in about five square miles. Uh, and so the seat transit system um, tra is trying to support some rural routes that are not uh, performing well. Uh, and they started looking into making a microtransit system for uh, a, a route that runs out to Stonington. Um, and that's where the idea really generated. Then we started looking into it and found that that Norwalk was in the middle of a, uh, a pilot program. They actually just ended it. It was successful. And uh, we began talking with, uh, 
you know, with the um, consultants that provide the software and help set up the pilot programs. And we just think that it would be perfect for this really densely urban populated city of New London that's, that really in itself, within its own borders, can be a perfect microtransit system. And the, um, the fixed route seat system does not, while it provides great regional transportation for our citizens, getting them to their jobs at the casinos, you know, both in Ledger and in Montville and to the, the different other um, employment hubs outside of New London and gets people into New London because New London is, of course, the biggest employment hub in the area. Uh, it doesn't necessarily provide a great answer to moving people around within our mm -hmm. city. So um, this is what we're looking at, at trying to segue the existing system, which has not changed in many, many years, uh, and, and modernizing it into this more pooled, on-demand um, uh, transit system. Uh, Mayor Passero, do you also see this as, you know, New London seen as a arts and cultural hub down in the southeast corner, uh, a way to attract people from the surrounding areas where you don't have to worry about parking and congestion in your city? Exactly. That, that's one of the major driving uh, motivational uh, factors. We have this very, very thriving arts, entertainment, restaurant uh, district downtown. Um, and so it, it, would be, it would be able to move people within the boundaries of New London. So uh, uh, wherever you are in New London, you're about two miles away from the center of town, the downtown business district. So Rather than getting get in your car, getting into your car, everybody getting into their individual motor vehicles and basically move it move it from your driveway to try to find a parking space downtown, um, we're looking at a microtransit system that would not increase the time of your travel or your, your uh, significantly and would be more convenient. So you would just, you know, just like an Uber, sort of a pooled Uber, you would, you know, call for it using your app on the phone. And this microtransit system would move you downtown and then bring you back at the end of your evening. So we think it would. We think that that's one market that we're not even tapping into with the existing fixed route, fixed route system. And so, uh, tell us uh, how soon before this is going to be happening in, in New London. We're at the very early stages. Uh, we uh, currently, the city council has approved the concept uh, and the funding to set up the pilot. We have to work with SEAT um, to, uh, you know, to try to set up the system. Uh, we believe we'd like to get it going. Uh, in a meeting yesterday, uh, we targeted some time in the late summer uh, to get this uh, system up and running. Well, it certainly uh, caught our attention. Uh, thank you, uh, Mayor Michael Passero, for telling us about this micro-transit uh, uh, ride-sharing uh, on-demand bus service that you're looking to launch soon. Uh, Doug Hausladen's with us, who's Director of Transportation, Traffic, and Parking for the City of New Haven. Doug, what do you think of this idea? Anything like this that could work for maybe parts of New Haven? Oh, absolutely. And we kind of have some of this in, in our private employers and our, our Yale shuttle system, especially at night. Uh, Greater New Haven Transit Districts launched a an app for paratransit, which is an on-demand uh, scheduling service app as well. Uh, in addition uh, to the New London pilot, and Norwalk also has a microtransit pilot. I think the you, you can tell that this is really seeping into the public discourse. Last night at our Connecticut Commuter Rail Council, we did our our 2019-2020 visioning, and the big issue we were talking about is giving getting away from this vision that taking the train or taking uh, you know, transit in Connecticut means taking the train and means driving to the train station. You know, we need to realign our transit services to actually go to the train station. You know, Middletown Transit, I've, I've heard, is realigning 
their bus system to go to the Meriden train station on the Hartford line. We need to do that with our State Street station in New Haven. I know that Hartford has a big comprehensive analysis that they're trying to get get done. And, and the folks that are doing this best, I think, in the state right now are, are, are a really greater Bridgeport Transit District that are able to realign their routes every year and year out. That's for fixed route. But again, as you mentioned, some of our densities, as it was talked about at the Rail Council last night, some of our densities in Connecticut call for microtransit and call for Uberpool or, or Liftpool or um, other systems of, of, of pairing people up. And that's why, you know, the Connecticut DOT has spent so much money and effort onto their CT Rides app. It's a great way that people can find each other and find commuting partners uh, and really reduce their impact. If you can actually go from one to two people in a car, that's the greatest reduction uh, in greenhouse gas you can have. You know, uh, you're, you're just doubling the number of people uh, per each uh, greenhouse gas em- emitted. So, you know, it's it's a great new wave of, of the 21st century uh, mobility options and how everything falls into a suite of transportation options. It still all comes back down to, as the mayor probably knows, hearing about, how do I get home when my child is sick at school? Mm-hmm. And CT Rides has options for you. Now you can also take Uber, Lyft, and, uh, and other services. But the most, you know, the most important question for people still remains, how will I take care of my family in a time of emergency? And people still are relying on the vehicle for that. So once, we've, once we're able to convince folks to ditch their vehicle and still have the freedom to pick their child up or their loved one up uh, in an emergency, then we'll be, we'll be able to switch more people out of the cars and think of uh, two-wheel and four-wheel solutions for them. That's an excellent point that you raised, Doug. One of the reasons why I don't even uh, ride the Hartford line, because I need that flexibility to uh, pick up uh, my children when they're sick and I get the call. But I want to thank you, Doug Hausladen, for joining us today, Director of Transportation, Traffic, and Parking for the City of New Haven. Uh, Doug, we look forward to talking with you again. Thanks so much. Uh, Also, Michael, uh, Mayor Michael Passer from uh, the City of New London, telling us about an interesting pilot um, happening soon in his city. Uh, Mayor Passer, thank you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Today's show produced by uh, producer Carmen Baskoff. Our special thanks to Jesse Steinmetz on the phones. He's an intern here. And my technical producer is Kion Wolf. You can learn more about the show at wmpr.org slash where we live. And you can also download our podcast. Uh, just subscribe to where we live on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or any app that you prefer. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>